Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everybody, to the X's and O's with Greg Cosell and Doug Farrar, the guy over there checking his texts, probably uh, five different head coaches. or. (laughs) (laughs) Greg's very connected. That's Greg Cosell of uh, NFL Films and ESPN's NFL Matchup. I'm Doug Farrar of Touchdown Wire and the USA Today Sports Media Group. And, Greg, I don't think I've ever written this many notes for any Sunday in which there's only two games, so we better just get right to it. Um, And we're going to look forward as opposed to looking backward to the divisional round but we have two absolutely packed schematic feasts here in these games. So let's start with the AFC championship game, the Kansas city chiefs versus the Baltimore Ravens. And I want to start with Lamar Jackson, who is most likely closing on in his second NFL MVP award at age 27, which is pretty nifty. Primary reason I think Jackson is in line for that is this season. He's developed to the point where there really aren't a lot of holes in his game there isn't really one way to beat him, and even if you land a few punches, Baltimore's coaching staff is very adept at the right adjustments. And I want to get to the Texans' blitz plan in the uh, Ravens' 34-10 divisional round win. Houston blitzed on 21% of their snaps in the regular season, fifth lowest in the league. Yeah, they, they went a little blitz crazy in, the, uh, in that game, didn't they, against the Ravens? Yeah. Sent six or more pass rushers on 11 of six or more, not just five, six or more on 11 of Lamar's 22 attempts. He completed eight of 11 passes for 51 yards, 30 air yards, one touchdown, pass rating of 112.3. Now, Lamar said, and Harbaugh said, you know, Lamar went and talked to Todd Monken at halftime, like, you know, I got to get the ball out quicker. That was obviously uh, a big adjustment. Now, spinning it forward as we're going to. The Chiefs have sent six or more pass rushes on 48 opponent attempts this season. Quarterbacks have completed 23 of 48 for 181, four touchdowns, two interceptions, and an opponent passer rating of eight, of 68.1. One of those touchdowns was the HP seam against uh, from Josh Allen to James Cook in Week 14 against the Bills. We all remember that in the corner blitzes. Another was Jordan Love's 12-yard touchdown to Christian Watson in Week 13. Uh, Packers handled the six-man pressure out of his own exchange. Love had time to hit Watson in the little kind of circle post. The rest were tight red zones. The rules are obviously different. So as much as the Chiefs blitz and as much as Spags is, you know, we love Spags. He's awesome with it. Quarterbacks aren't helpless against it. There are there are seams and, and gaps and little voids that you can exploit if you're Lamar. Yeah, and first of all, I don't think that Steve Spagnuolo will blitz anywhere near the percentage that D'Amico Ryans did last week. I mean, obviously, he felt that was the approach to take. It was not what you would have expected from the Texans going into the game based on what they had done through the regular season. Um, So that was clearly, you know, his belief that that was the way to approach it. I don't think Spags will go into the game like that. Now, they'll blitz, um, but not not to that extent. you know, when you mentioned how the Ravens responded to it, I mean, I thought the second half, it was the quick timing pass game and the run game. That was their profile um, in the second half. Now, keep in mind that they started to pull ahead so they could stay with the run game. Sure. Uh, you know, it, uh, there was no need to, to throw it 
all over the yard. And actually, they got the Lamar Jackson design run game to be a big factor in the second half of that game. And that's always something you need to be concerned with when you play the Ravens. They didn't quite do it as much of this season overall, but now we're in the playoffs and you do what you do. And and Lamar is, is obviously very good at the design run game as well as the secondary action movement plays. Um, they did you know, they did use the design run game really effectively in the second half of that yes. game. Um, they had the 15-yard touchdown on the draw, which ended the first third quarter quarter possession. Um, so, you know, it, they're a very difficult defense, excuse me, very difficult offense to defend for a number of reasons. I mean, it starts with Lamar and his abilities, but they're also an offense that can play effectively out of multiple personnel packages now. Yes. They can go tight and they can go big with uh, Ricard, um, and they can go spread you out with three wide. And and even likely, um, and I guess Andrews might go this week, but even likely. It's looking it's, like it, but it, now, now you have Andrews and likely. Yikes. Yeah, and, and but the point is they both can can be detached from the formation. So yes. just, just because they might have 12 personnel on the field or even 22 personnel, Doug, where they have two backs and two tight ends, doesn't necessarily mean that the formations are going to be tight. Just to so, bless do we call Ricard a fullback or a tight end? Or is he a fullback? So when, we, when he's in there and, and there's a running back, we say 20. Yeah, 20. I mean, I, I, I think he's charted on most sites as a fullback. He, he really kind of lines up more as a tight end. So so whatever you want to call him. I mean, obviously, he's not a pass catcher. You know, he rarely ever catches the ball, and he's used almost exclusively as a blocker. So uh, call him, but I guess, whatever you want. It's just a matter of how you want to chart it. Um, you remember you know, uh, Patrick DeMarco with the Kyle Shanahan Falcons? He's kind of like that. Yeah, I remember that. I remember, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. But the point is, you know, this week, I believe, again, the game played out in a way, too, where they could stay with their their bigger personnel, and I think he played around 50% of the snaps. Um, now, that that depends on the game and on the week. I mean, uh, as good as the, the Ravens' defense is, is, I don't – think people believe that they're going to hold the Chiefs to 10 points. So, you know, this game could play out differently and they may feel they want to spread it out a little more. Now, if they do, um, and then particularly if they get to longer yardage situations on second or third down, they'll get dime from the Chiefs. The Chiefs are a high percentage dime defense, particularly on third down. I think they played the fourth highest percentage of, of dime snaps uh, in the league this year, you know, 60 Bs. So, so they'll get and plus, I think you want to do that with Lamar Jackson anyway because you want more speed on the field. Mm -hmm. Well, the touchdown against the Texans was a cool concept. Uh, this was against – Which one six, are you speaking about? Uh, the It was the Aguilar's crosser, and then Kohler blocked uh, Houston Carson in, and Ricard motioned from left to right, wide open to that side. It was just it was a really nice play. Also, Lamar's uh, touchdown run was against six or more edge rushers. I think it was six. So – as you said, the design run game really played out. Um, oh, in the second half in particular. Yeah. In the first half, he beat them with, with scrambles. In the second half, they went to the design run game. Yep. So, it, But here's the thing. If you take the Texans game out for the season against six or more ed, uh, pass rushers, like edge rushers, Jackson has completed 18 of 33 for 169, 41 air yards, no touchdowns, three sacks, uh, no interceptions, pass rating of 56.3. So makes you wonder. Yeah, and Spags will blitz, but, you know, the six pass rushers is – there's a couple of factors involved. Six pass rushers does not automatically mean that it's going to be zero on the back end. Because oh, sure. What a lot of teams do now is they know, based on their pressure concept, 
versus the protection, they know that the back is going to have to stay in to protect. Mm -hmm. So they can add that sixth rusher in, but it's not really zero coverage. Because when you think of six true pass rushers, you think of only five, you know, defensive backs or five coverage players and you start to think that it's zero because they have to match up to the five eligible receivers but a lot of teams now know based on their study of protections that they can bring that sixth guy because the back is going to stay in well let's flip it to baltimore's defense and mike mcdonald is so good at that um they played well i had a lot to get to with uh, the Ravens blitzed Stroud on six of his attempts in the first half, one in the second half, and that was at the score 10 to 10 at halftime. Harbaugh said after the game that the idea was to get clearer rushing lanes in the second half. This also allowed both uh, Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith to drop and take away Stroud's kind of easier options against pressure. They ran a few more five-man friends, although, Greg, correct me if, if I'm wrong, they seem like more of a four-man-based nickel team. And the stunts with Justin Metabike, who was just amazing again in this game with eight pressures, their stunt game in this Texans game, and you spin that forward, the Chiefs have a deficit at both tackle positions with Donovan Smith and Jawan Taylor. And Joe Tooney may or may not be in for this. So that could be a problem. Could be. Um, you know, I, I would say that um, they're not a heavy blitz team percentage-wise. Um they feature a lot of what we call loaded fronts where they line up with three defensive linemen to one side of the center. Um, they, they're, they're not a dime team either. They're almost exclusively a nickel defense. Um, I don't know what Humphrey's status is for this week at this point, as you and I speak on a Wednesday, uh, they'll play two nickel packages. One has Hamilton as the slot corner with stone and Williams at safety the other has Mallet at slot corner with Hamilton and Williams at safety. Now, Mallet plays anywhere from 15 to 20 snaps a game as the slot corner, and he's an effective blitzer. He um, really is. He had three unblocked pressures from the edge against the Texans. Now, you yeah, I know. And I, it's Mahomes, but I'll be interested to see, you know, how that kind of works. Yeah, Um you know, so we'll see how that plays out in this game. Um, obviously, Mahomes is a different – player than Stroud. I mean, Mahomes sure. is is really good at recognizing and moving and finding just enough space to make the kinds of throws that we've seen him make many, many times. Um, so, you know, Stroud's not at that level of player, not not when it comes to movement anyway. Certainly, right. Mahomes is, is arguably the best in the league at being able to do that. Um, so, uh, again, we'll see how much Mike McDonald chooses to blitz, uh, but you know, he will, obviously it's not as if it's going to be never Doug, no. but you know, we'll see what kind of percentage it is, but, and I'm also really curious to see how much of that conventional nickel he plays with Mallette mm -hmm. versus Hamilton. Now keep in mind, and you know this, that the chiefs have really evolved. It really started a year ago. They've evolved into being a team that plays a lot out of multiple tight end personnel. Yes. They played almost 60% of their offensive snaps this past week against Buffalo out of 12 and 13 personnel. Yep. So, you know, they're not just people think of Mahomes, I'm sure, and they think, oh, spread it out, throw it around. That's not the kind of offense they are. And actually, Pacheco has become even more and more of a factor as this season has progressed. I mean, I'm not going to say he's the foundation of their offense because Mahomes is the best quarterback in football. And right. when you have Mahomes... He's the guy, but 
the running game has become a much, much bigger and more important factor in their offense over the last, you know, what, month, six weeks, something along those lines. Pacheco is a very meaningful factor in their offense. Well, let's get into that. The Chiefs were in 13 personnel on seven of Pacheco's 15 runs against the Bills. Pacheco gained 60 of his 90 yards overall on 15 carries. The Chiefs have led the NFL in passing attempts out of 13 for the second straight season, 49 this season so far. Pacheco leads the NFL with 46 carries out of 13 for 199 yards and a touchdown. But the Bills game is where it really showed up. The 29-yard run with 12.53 left in the game was a pin-pull concept. I love this. They did such a good job moving uh, you know, Creed Humphrey and the t- yeah, Humphrey was used as a puller a lot yeah. in this game, and you don't I, see centers normally do that. I was having Jason Kelsey flashbacks. Um, the 29 yeah. yard run with 12.53 left in the game was a pinpole concept with tight ends Blake Bell and Noah Gray leaving the formation to block outside, left tackle Donovan Smith as well, left guard Nick Allegretti. I believe this was, it was his first snap of the game after Tooney went out, pinned Ed Oliver inside. Pacheco had a clean gap upfield, and I think it was outside zone. And Pacheco made safety Micah Hyde miss in space with a nasty outside. Well, the, the best block that on is that, a foundational concept. The best block on that play, because it's the hardest block on that play, was the one-on-one block by tight end Noah Gray on the defensive end Lawson. That's yeah. a one-on-one block, and he did an unbelievable job on that. Uh, yeah, it was pin pull to the field, um, as you said, Bell and the left tackle Smith pulled. So you know that's it's it's a pin pull concept. You know every team has it. Um, th- th- that was executed really, really well. And as you said, it came out of 13 personnel. And you're going to see a lot of that. that that's not going to change. That's that's who they are. Um, and I, you, know, I, you, you wonder if, if with that much heavy, does it keep the Ravens out of dime a little bit? Or, or you know, do, the, do, do the Ravens match up? With, well, the Ravens don't play dime. Oh, I, I mean, excuse me, nickel. But do the Ravens... Um, do they match up more in a base? Or I mean, they well, that, that's going to be the big question that they're going to have to answer from a personnel perspective, and that's one of the the questions in this game. Do they do they go base, which tends to be a bit more of what what I would call a five two, um, and they bring in Harrison, Malik Harrison, a uh, number forty as kind of the the other edge defender, uh, and at times he's off the ball as well if they decide to go with more of what what would be called a 4-3 stack look, or does he play on the ball for a 5-2? I guess we're going to find this out. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. they're, they're going to decide, I guess, what their best personnel is. Now, while Pacheco has become a bigger factor, um, you know, and, and there's no way you go into a game saying we're not going to try to deal with Pacheco, but I think when all said and done that they're probably – I don't want to say more concern. That's not the right way to say it, but you still have to make sure you deal with their pass game and their pass game at a multiple tight end sets is really good. Yep. Um, Well, it's, uh, you mentioned when we talked on the phone yesterday to prep for this show, the 29 yard pass to Kelsey with uh, 12, 23 left in the first half. This was an inverted bone. Uh, 12 personnel with Kelsey and Nogre in the backfield. And Kelsey just ran right through the bills cover too, kind of that seam route. Uh, usually Kelsey's in the backfield for those like, quick shovel passes in the end zone. So this is a different wrinkle, and I wonder if we'll see more of that. Well, it was interesting. that They were actually in two-man coverage, and then mm-hmm. Klein matched on Kelsey. Um, and both Gray and um, Kelsey were the offset players. Pacheco was behind Mahomes as the pistol back, and they did pistol play action. And Klein was matched on Kelsey, and Klein, his eyes were in the backfield due to the play action, and he's not a great pass defender anyway. Now, obviously, the linebackers for the Ravens are far better than Klein and Dotson. Klein has been there like two weeks. They're just so banged up they had to get Right, right. 
And then even Klein, who's been in the league a long time and has has had really a great NFL career, that's not his game. You know, now you're dealing with Queen and Smith, who are two really athletic linebackers. But the play concept was really cool, the way Kelsey worked through the line of scrimmage to run his corner out. You know, and and the nice thing about a play like that, it was a great three-man route concept because it had a flood element to it. That gave him home answers versus both man and zone. So if they got a different coverage, he still had answers. Okay, let's move to Mahomes' answers or questions against Baltimore's coverage. You remember last week we talked about how the Browns just single high, not a lot of disguise and late movement. They just, you know, okay, CJ, we have our thing, come get it. The Ravens played single high on 18 of Stroud's 33 attempts, and Stroud usually ripped single high to shreds. He did not in this game. On 16 of those 18 attempts, Greg, the Ravens showed some sort of two-deep look before flipping to the preferred single high coverage. Against single high in that game, Stroud completed 10 of 18 for 100 yards and a pass rating of 69.7. He got the Ravens for two big pass plays, but other than that, between the coverage and the pressure, he didn't have a lot to work with. And to just flip that... The Ravens plastered Houston's receivers so well, and I would expect the same plan in this game because there aren't any Nico Collins on that Chiefs roster. Stroud had an incompletion with 40 seconds left in the first half. I'm sure you saw this play where the Ravens sent a six-man blitz. Stroud looked at the front side hot, but Kyle Hamilton shut that down to Robert Woods. So they are tying coverage to pressure in, I think, better than any defense in the NFL right now. So with your history of watching and analyzing Mahomes and your understanding of Mahomes, how do you think all of that may affect what he does? Probably not a lot. Yeah. (laughs) You know, look. I'm um, Mahomes. Yeah. yeah, Look, could he throw, could they catch him once and could he throw a pick? Sure. But I mean, I think as an overall game plan, they're not going to fool Mahomes on a regular basis. Okay. Um, I mean, you don't think they're going to do that, do you? No, I don't think they're going to fool him per se. They may they may delay things. They you know, could. Like it's it's not fooling a quarterback. It's oh, I have to wait that little extra tick and here comes Patrick Queen and you know or or some you know Matabuike around one of the tackles who are, you know, problematic. Now I have to go from touchdown to checkdown or now my pass is off because I had to wait to see and there was that little extra pressure. It's not fooling. And it's possible. I mean, there's no question. I mean, they can win with their schemes with their pressure, and they can win one-on-one. I mean, you know, they've got some – even though they're not a high-percentage blitz team, they're really an interesting pressure team. Um, The way they deploy certain people, Hamilton for one, Queen for another. Um, Queen is not necessarily a rusher unto himself, but he's really – he's kind of deployed as a picker in their inside stunt game. That one where he clipped like four gaps and got in. That was yeah, and he just runs after. Usually, yep. it's a guard. I mean, and this is what happens more on third down. And he just kind of runs to a guard just to lay him out, so that the looper behind him is going to have an open gap. Um, he went they from do that a lot. I tackle to the left guard's inside shoulder in about one second. It was yeah. Just- no, he's really good at that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and Matabuke, he's been really good. And he'll line up at wide 90 in in some of their fronts. And they'll bring Van Noy inside as kind of a stand-up three. So they're they're very multiple on third down with their fronts and their pressures um, and, and with their coverages. Um, so, no, this is a challenge for Mahomes. Uh, but, again, if, 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 
if pressure gets there, which would be a function of other things, not Mahomes, then sure, that can change the game. Um, that can make him quicker. That can make him, uh, you know, maybe throw a, a ball or two here or there that's undefined. No question. But I think overall, I'm not sure that it will have a, you know, a huge impact. Like I said, I mean, I'd be really surprised if they score 10 points. I don't think that's going to happen. No, like a tangible effect. Well, we were talking uh, last week about how teams prepare for opponents differently in postseason. You brought up that you've talked to quarterbacks who played 15 years in the league. Yeah. I was never surprised. And, of course, if you are surprised, you're not going to last 15 years. Yeah, and that doesn't mean you'll never be beaten. You know, those right. are two different things. It's not things. the surprise. It's the delay. It's the little right. The giddy up, you know, that little half second thing. And, you and know, that's, a, that's a fair statement. You're right. Because, yeah, that's, that's, that's fractions matter, as you always say. It, uh, and it's true. And that's a great point that, you know, if, if you can just delay him for a second. But, of course, then you get, then you have, in a sense, the, you know, the Mahomes factor. I mean, because then you get into the situation where if he feels, if he feels that, hey, he's not going to be clean. Then you get to what he does perhaps better than any quarterback in the league because he yeah. has – I mean, here's the way I would describe it, okay? Because I thought about – you know, this is the kind of stuff I think about, as you know. I think he's got high-level intelligent and athletic functionality mm-hmm. to defeat kind of chaos while yes. he maintains his poise and his downfield vision. Does that make sense? Yes. Well, for one – That's kind of what he is. Yeah, That's kind of what – he has you know, eyes all around his head as far as estimating. Yeah, so I mean, again, that's I'm not suggesting there's never going to be a, a bad play or, or a really good play by the by the defense of the Ravens because they're really good, and there's no question McDonald does some some interesting things that cause problems, and we know that the two tackles uh, for the uh, Chiefs are potentially problematic in given situations, mm-hmm. but you know the Mahomes factor is there. All the, I mean, you know, keep one thing in mind. While the Bills are a different defensive animal than the Ravens in terms of tactics and approach, their pass rush, which I think was fourth or fifth in the league or third in the league in terms of sacks this year, was basically a non-factor in that game. Yeah, it was. was, So, I mean, Mahomes is just – he's got that kind of ability to to do, you know, to use the words, I you know, that sort of high-level intelligent and athletic functionality. He's, He's the best in the league at that. So, yeah, like I said, I don't want people to to take this thinking that, well, there's never going to be a good play by the Ravens defense. I would just be surprised if that's the deciding factor in the game. Right. Um, Yeah, we talked about Mollette. You brought him up and just I saw it on broadcast. It kind of verified it with the tape. The number of unblocked pressures. Yeah. (laughs) Now, Jawan Taylor, by the way, most penalized player in the league this year, their right tackle. Got away with at least two uncalled holds that I saw against Texans. So we'll see, you know, where that goes. Um, one, guy, <laughs> one guy I want to mention before we get into uh, the Lions-Niners game. Chiefs have drafted all these young defensive backs to great effect in the last couple of years. Um, Fourth-round rookie Shamari Connor from Virginia Tech looks like another one. He started the season with no coverage snaps. And then after Brian Cook got hurt in week 13, he's played slot and safety, had a crucial interception, Again, this play impressed me, and we'll put it up. Uh, came down from a two-high look and cover one to match Khalil Shakir across, then broke off as Allen scrambled to the other side. He got all the way back and jumped the pass to Trent Sherfield. So this is just like all these guys that Brett Veach and his staff and Spags is obviously involved in that. 
they have gone so much younger in with their defense and they've done it so well. And I think Connor is just another example of how well they Yeah, are and they were and again, um Mike Edwards had a, has a concussion, so, so we don't know what his status is this week. Right. But- Connor was playing predominantly, not 100%, but predominantly in in their big nickel with three safeties. Okay. Um, that his role has expanded because of injuries. Because right. James, because uh, Brian Cook, uh, I believe he's on IR, so I don't believe he's yes, back. Yes. He, he um, what's that? He is on IR. Uh, yeah, so he's IR out. Probably won't be taken off. So yeah. right, so he's out. But Edwards is is the wild card here because he suffered a concussion early in the Bills game, and uh, you know obviously if he clears protocol he'll play. But if he doesn't, you know they'll 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 the dime will have Devin Bush as the third safety, and Connor in a sense becomes the starting safety with Justin Reed. That's what they did this past week once Edwards got hurt. But I know the exact play you're talking about with the interception that he made, which was actually a really cool play because. It was. Because um, he he was man, it, they started in a two high shell, but they but they ended up in cover one, and he had he was man to man on Shakir, but Justin Reed, who started as as a mugged up defender on the line of scrimmage, he dropped out as a low hole defender. He did not have a man responsibility, but when Shakir ran the crosser to him, they essentially switched roles. Reed became the man coverage defender on Shakir, and Connor dropped off that as basically now a free defender. And Josh Allen did not, you know, compute that. That was that's a tough deal. Okay, Um, so he's free, so he can just go where Allen's. So he just he just got his eyes on Josh. Okay, that that makes more sense. So like, wow, that's really advanced to go like from too high all the way over to to match your shallow cross. That was. No, he dropped down because Shakir was was on his side of the field. But he ran the shallow cross right to um, Justin Reed, who, like I said, dropped out as a low hole player. You know, and and then Connor saw that, and he just got his eyes on Josh because now he realized, hey, Justin Reed has Shakir. I don't need to, you know, stand right next to Justin Reed. So he just put his eyes on Josh, and then he just mirrored Josh when he moved. And yeah. Josh, because he assumed, I'm sure that uh, Connor was not assumed. He saw him match up to, yeah. to Shakir. He didn't know that well, he was going to drop here. off. Yeah. yeah. At first I almost thought it was a bust. Like he, over- nope. yeah. And then I saw it a few more times and what you're saying makes a lot more sense. No, that's exactly what happened. So they ended up switching responsibilities. Connor then became the free defender. See, you think, and as, as long as you've been doing this, Greg, since 1979 for films, how hard it is to get all these New defensive backs in the last three years from Snead on and all these kids, McDuffie and, you know, on and on and a couple of veterans. But and in, in these advanced coverages, to have it all work with a bunch of guys. Well, and, that, and it's funny you say that because that's that's a um, there's an instinct involved there, too, because obviously he's man to man on Shakir. He could have, you know. They probably – I don't know if they would have said to him if he stayed with Shakir, hey, you screwed up. No, he's man-to-man on Shakir. Yeah. But he recognized that Shakir ran right to Justin Reed, who, as I said, did not have a pure man responsibility. He was, you know, as I said, a low-hole player. And then Connor just, you know, instinctively realized, okay, let me get my eyes on Josh. I'm now free. I, yeah. my, my man is now being picked up. I'm free. And I'm leaving no holes if I go over here. We'll put the right. Play. If I just stand where I am, I'm just covering grass. Yeah, probably the coolest play I've watched this week, and I've watched a lot of plays. We yeah, so of- I mean, you know, I, I always think of when that happens of, of Matt Bowen, who I worked with for four years on matchup, yeah. saying that you never want to just be covering grass. Yes. Well, he did. Yeah. 
and uh, no so he, he he you know but he in a sense and it wasn't necessarily that wasn't the play call per se because they don't know the route that Shakir's going to run sure. but it was just really smart play that he could then free up because he didn't need to cover Shakir anymore Right. I would assume part of that play call is like you said, you're you're creating a free defender. You know if there's pressure, Allen's going to run. He's not going to stay in the pocket. Well, that, they also had a spy on that play. Willie Gay was the spy. Okay. And and they and, and Reed was a low hole defender. So they in a sense had two players in position to react to Josh Allen. Because that was third down, by the way. And I think it was third and four, if memory serves me correctly. So um so it was third and four, and so they had basically two defenders in position to deal with a mobile quarterback. I mean, and again, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson are totally different, but it's a tactic for dealing with mobile quarterbacks who can leave the pocket and make plays. Yep. Okay. I could go three hours on this game and the next one, but I know you got to go. Well, the next one we could do three hours too, but let's yeah. we'll move on to it. Yeah. You got a near NFL matchup, and I don't want to be the one responsible <laughs> that yeah. means, right? because all the tape nerds be mad at me. Okay. Lions at Niners. Debo Samuel went out early against the Packers with a shoulder injury. As we're taping this, there's no status report for this game. But, Greg, in my opinion, as much as you want to talk about Kittle and McCaffrey and Ayuk and what, this offense needs Debo on the field to operate at its highest level. He ties the run game and the pass games together, especially the intermediate passing game, and they are so much better when he's on the field, and that's especially true in the run game. The 49ers use a lot more 22 when Samuel has been off the field. That's where juice check comes in. But it's not the same. Yeah, three three percent twenty two when Samuel's on the field, twenty two percent when he's not. So we'll start with the Debo effect in your mind and what that and, and we don't know if he's gonna play, but the Debo effect on Kyle Shanahan's offense. Well, I think you nailed it. I don't know how much more there is to say. I mean, he changes their offense significantly, both in the run game and the pass game. I mean, because obviously he's a phenomenal run blocker. He's he's critical to their run game. Like Heinz Ward revisited. He's just he's Yeah, and I think in the pass game, he gives them a play that is an easy completion that becomes a meaningful play, and that's the the, the tunnel screen game. Sure. You know, they don't have another player like that. I mean, they there, throw that ball out to him. Are, yeah, how many other players are there who can get fifty yards on a tunnel screen? Tyree right, Hill, but I mean, even if he just gets yeah. if it's first and ten and he gets nine, that's a great play. Right. You know. And he can get that just because of his power and his physicality. Yep. So, you know, plays like that, the Niners offense, look, they made they had a lot of explosive plays this year. I, mean, I think they were among the league leaders in, quote-unquote, explosive plays in the pass game. Sure. But a lot of their explosive plays come with run after catch. Yeah, big yeah. Big yeah, I mean, they led the league in yards after catch. They were yes. Right so, I mean, they're not throwing, you know, deep vertical shots. So I mean, they can, but that's not the primary construct. No, no. So, so their their explosive their explosion element to their pass game comes from run after catch, and um, Samuel is a major, major part of that. They don't have. I mean, look, like you said, there may not be another guy in the league quite like Samuel. So it's obvious. It's not profound to say they that the Niners don't have anybody else like him. There may not be anybody else like him. Right. I'll leave it to Kyle to get like three of those guys over time. Um, yeah, and it you know, I think when you know Juszczyk comes, he's also a valuable piece, but there's just no replacing Debo. No. No, so we'll see if he can go. And, you know, obviously they're going to put together a plan with him. Well, they'll know. You know, you and I yeah. don't know. They'll no. know. Uh, they may know right now. We, You know, who knows? They, they don't need to announce anything. But obviously they'll have a plan if he doesn't play, whether it works. I, You know, that remains to be seen. They're playing an interesting defense. I think that 
Aaron Glenn, I, I personally believe he does an unbelievably great job he because does. he has no corners, okay? And and no disrespect to Sutton and Vildor, but that's the weakness of their defense. This but, wasn't the plan when they started the season. No, but I think with the things he does with his front and all the multiple looks mm-hmm. and the way he moves people around, Barnes has become a truly movable chess piece yes. in the context of this defense, and he's a really good player. I watched him coming out of Purdue, and what a lot of people might not realize is his junior year at Purdue, he was an edge pass rusher. His senior year at Purdue, they moved him off the ball. So he has experience from playing in college as both an edge pass rusher, and I think he had 11 or 12 sacks that year at Purdue. And so he has experience as an edge pass rusher, which he's used, at, by the way, at times for the Lions, and as an off-the-ball player, which he's used at predominantly. And and then they get great play in their nickel. Well, just, just to bust in. Glenn loves to do that because that's the same thing they do with Jack Campbell. They yeah, but they yeah they do with Barnes more, but they do it with Campbell. Right, um, and then they they play guys like you know Jalen Reeves may have been 15, 17 snaps a game in their nickel. He's become a productive player in their nickel. He's a very athletic guy. I like what they do with their pressures. They they have multiple pressure concepts that are difficult to deal with. They use defense. They're almost as good as Spags in their use of defensive backs as blitzers. Brand. Now, since week 13, Melifonwu has become an impact playmaker for them. Yeah, um, you wanted to talk about Melifonwu, so let's get into that. Oh, no, I, I think he's been a major – you know, now they end up rotating three safeties, and they're all good. They end up rotating Melifonwu, Joseph, and Gardner-Johnson. But Melifonwu is really good as a box player close to the line of scrimmage. He's a terrific blitzer. He's got downhill burst and explosion. Branch – as a rookie, is as good a slot corner as there is in the league, and he's an outstanding blitzer. So, you know, they're really multiple in what they do for, with their pressures. The issue that can that can bite them in the you-know-what any given week is their two corners, yeah. and and you just don't know in any given game. Yeah. Uh, let's get to Branch because you and I have discussed it, the slow 40 time at the combine. I, I don't know what. He was my 14th player in this class. I don't know. Yeah, I loved him. I I absolutely loved uh, Branch coming out of Bama. This from Lions PR. Since his stats began tracked in 1999, only two NFL rookies have produced a postseason with at least 15 tackles, two tackles for loss, one sack, and one pass defensed. Brian Branch and Nick Bosa. One thing that really stood out to me about Branch in the Bucks game was how well he can both blitz and stop the run from the slot. The run stopping from the slot was really – that's because he's got the angles down. He reads the backfield very well, and he converges quickly. If you watched a couple of his games and you didn't know anything about him and someone told you that, that guy's been in the NFL for five years, you'd believe it. Well, the thing that stood out at Alabama, to me, one of the things among many with him, which is a very lost artist, he was a great tackler. Yes. And, you know, when you play in the slot, and especially in a game like this where the Niners obviously are going to run the football, you know, that becomes a really important deal. There's a lot of slot corners, as you know. They're quick. They're fast. They can blitz. They can cover. But they don't tackle. And he tackles. He does. Uh, So that defense against Brock Purdy, and, of course, Greg, based on Twitter, I believe that Brock Purdy should be cut or nominated for uh, the Hall of Fame right now. I'm not sure which. Well, it seemed in the by the in the middle of the third quarter of that game he should be cut. Yeah. Um, and then of course the next night we Josh Allen should be cut. So yeah. those two guys I think will be available this off season. Cool. Well, that'll uh, up our free agency traffic at touchdown wire. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. So uh, onto the actual tape. Uh, he had a, this is not a good game for him. I don't know how much of it was the rain Packers defense didn't, you know, some cool stuff. And of course, Joe Barry was fired this morning, Wednesday morning. Uh, ouch. Uh, number of bad throws in that game. And at times his remarkable ability to decipher coverage and throw with anticipation, which we've discussed a lot this year was not on display. 540 left in the first quarter. He threw what could have been a Darnell Savage pick six. Purdy had George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk on matching 15-yard inbreakers. And I think he thought that Savage was going to take Kittle on the backside of quarters, but Savage baited Purdy and jumped and jumped the throw to Ayuk and dropped it. And I'm not sure why Purdy thought that about Savage, because Jonathan Owens had Kittle through his route. That well, one. no disrespect, but I don't think we know what, what he thought. No, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> I mean you know, I'm, I'm, I'm guesstimating in my head. Based yeah. on what I saw. I have no idea. What I mean, because he obviously threw it right to Savage, so yeah. which he obviously did not mean to do. So we don't know what was in his head. That he was certainly didn't process him. He would yeah. not have thrown the ball if if he processed Savage sitting right there. So yeah. for whatever reason, it just didn't register. Right. Uh, Purdy missed some really easy th- release routes to McCaffrey as well. Five targets in which the timing of the routes were just off. He missed Ayuk early in the third quarter when Ayuk ran a wicked in-cut at 10 yards, just put his foot in the dirt and erased Carrington Valentine. Purdy had it too far out in front. Now, Rashawn Gary beat right tackle Colton McKivitz. Hold on to that because that could be a problem with an edge pressure. Purdy had to hurry to throw. Incompletion to Kittle with 36 seconds left in the third quarter where Kittle ran that same sort of in-cut he's run a billion times in this offense. Yeah, and Kittle got, got disrupted in his route. And yes. Then, Isaiah and that McCaffrey, happens every yeah. once in a while to Purdy because yeah. he's such an anticipation thrower. Isaiah McDuffie yeah. bumped Kittle off the timing as he ran upfield. Yeah. That was another late one. The Packers were really adept at getting Purdy's receivers this is what I wrote out of their timing with those three directions. I would imagine Aaron Glenn will be taking a close look at that this week. As will Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. Yes. Of so, course. Um, no, that, Purdy, the, CB, the, the CB deficit we're talking about, that redirection could help. Yeah. I mean, this was clearly not Purdy's best games. Um, you know, one of his better games. I mean, there were too many dropbacks in which he didn't turn the ball loose with his normal timing and anticipation. He got stuck in the pocket too much in this game. And he's not at his best the longer he sits in the pocket. He's got to play with precise timing. Now, he does have movement ability. So, you know, I mean, obviously the 32-yard touchdown uh, to Kittle came off movement. Um, You know, so you could have argued, actually, he should have thrown the ball uh, for the first down, but he didn't, I I believe, there. if I'm remembering the correct play on the, the other touchdown to Kittle, yeah. I thought he had I thought he had Ayuk um, available for for first down right at the sticks on 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 a uh, uh, was it a whip route or a or a pivot route whatever it was, but he chose not to throw it and then he moved and he hit Kittle for the touchdown, which was a great throw. But no, there's no question that he did not have his best game. Um, we'll see. I mean, they're going to get pressure for sure. Um, you know. The other factor in this game, and we'll see, is the Lions were the second-best run defense in the NFL this year. Yeah. And there's no question that the Niners are going to run the ball, sure. um, and they're going to run it in multiple ways, as they always do. Um, but, you know, that's a big, big factor in this game. Yes. And as, as you said a lot, and I certainly agree, the, they, the Niners look to – get you between the seams and between the numbers in the passing game where the, the attack is more, not completely, but more outside. So their their run game is more horizontal. Their pass game is more Sometimes. Horizontal. Yeah, I mean, they, they do like to attack with outside zone. Um, 
but they also work inside as well. I mean, it's a very multiple run game. I think it depends on the fronts they feel that they're going to get, and I think they're pretty multiple with the Lions. Um, so we'll see, you know, how they decide to run it, but they'll try to run it. Um, and, uh, and, and you know, then you have the Samuel factor, you know, the point we started with. That's a big factor Huge. because they don't really have, um, you know, who – I mean, McLeod played as a third receiver. Connolly played as a third receiver. Um, I think Jawan Jennings is a good run blocker. He's not. He's not he's as a really good. He's actually a really good player. He um, yeah. He might fit in, in. He's not Debo, but sort of that role. I don't know. Yeah. Now he's an interesting guy because he went to Tennessee, and I watched him coming out, and he was physical and super competitive in the yeah. SEC. But he ran a really bad 40 time, which I knew he would because that's not the kind of player he is. Right. He's 6'3", 215. And, of course, that immediately had people saying he stinks and he can't play. And no one's suggesting – I'm certainly not that he's, you know, he's a big-time NFL wideout. But I knew there would be a place for him in the league because he's so physical, he's so competitive, he catches the ball, and he was really good in the SEC. Yeah. And, um, and you know, he's in, in normal situations, he's their number three, and he's a really good number three. Yep. Uh, let's swing to the Lions offense uh, for the final portion of our program. Once again, Jared Goff took everything Todd Bowles threw at him and spit it right back. Against the Buccaneers, Goff completed 30 of 43 for 287, two touchdowns, no interceptions, pass rating of 103.5. Week six against the Buccaneers, he completed 30 of 44 for 353, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and a pass rating of 107.5. He's pretty consistent right now. He's about as plug and play. And one of the notes I made, he has put more on tape, more than enough on tape to make you think that he could take this game by the neck which isn't something that we've ever said before about Goff. His last bad game was against the Bears in Week 14. Since Week 15 through this week, he's been one of the four or five best quarterbacks in the NFL statistically. Um, just the way he's upped his game and kind of maximized his attributes in, in Ben Johnson's offense and the spacing and the you know timing of everything is really kind of remarkable. Mm. Well, I love their pass offense. I mean, their run – their run game is pretty good too, but because um, they have different runs for the different for Montgomery and Gibbs. So, but the point is, is they um, their pass games is really good. I love um, I love what they do with Laporta, and, I, and not just when they throw him the ball, but they. Here's another team. You know, it's funny. We're in a, in a in a group of four now with four teams left that play at a base personnel a high percentage of the time yep. relative to what I think a lot of people think about the NFL. And explosive plays, you think it has to be, you know. You know, 11, three wide receivers, right. spread the field, you know. But you can spread the field out of 12 with two tight ends. And I think Laporta is such a critical player in the Lions passing game with his ability to de detach and run multiple routes. It gives their 12 personnel grouping tremendous formation and concept versatility versus both man and zone. And I think he's so critical to what they do. And then St. Brown is their motion receiver. You know, mm -hmm. they get a lot of quality snaps from guys like Josh Reynolds. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we've talked about the spacing in their pass game versus zone. Um, they feature high-low concepts really, really effectively. Um, they're just a really – they're a difficult – offense to defend in zone and and that's gonna it'll be interesting with the Niners because they'll probably play more zone than not and yeah. I think Fred Warner is arguably the best zone coverage linebacker in the league yeah. so we'll see how you know there's some real interesting elements to this game 
Well, Laporta had 11 targets against the Buccaneers, and he was out. He was the outside receiver to either side on seven of those targets. The Lions view this guy as a complete offensive weapon, and he's lived up to that. He's lined up 18% outside overall, and when he's targeted, that rate bumps up to 30. And he is especially adept at getting open from outside on those in cuts that Goff will just throw all day. Yeah. And they work the middle of the field exceptionally well. Yes, they do. And as we've discussed before, but it's worth discussing again, the play-action pass game. Yep, um, under center. Yeah, under center. I mean, that's what they do. They've had the most play-action snaps in the NFL overall, but far and away the most under center, where I think something like 90% of their play-action pass, uh, of Goff's play-action passes, have come with him under center. Warner and Greenlaw are obviously two of the savviest linebackers in the NFL, but in a general sense, does that under-center play action, does it draw the linebackers in a bit more because it looks more like a run depending on the blocking scheme? Well, there's a couple of factors with under-center play action. Um, everybody thinks about the second level. Let's start with the first level because if you go with sort of an outside zone look um, or even if you go with a gap scheme look, what tends to happen? If it's outside zone, Doug, what are this, the D-line starts moving laterally, okay? So that means they're not moving vertically to the quarterback. So no one talks about that part of it. Everybody just thinks about the second level, okay? But the reason that um, under center play action is one reason it's more effective for second level as well, it, and it makes it's just common sense. It takes longer to get to the mesh point, to the fake point. So the linebackers have to wait to see, especially if the O-line does a good job and doesn't just show their hats up right away. Um, they have to wait and see, is this a run? Is this a pass? They, it takes them longer to have to figure that out. And right. by that time, routes are working down the field. Yep. Well, as I said, Greg, we could go all day on this one, all, all day on these two games. Uh, awesome. Just I, I can't wait for Sunday because there's so much to – so much to chop into, but we've uh, we've done our level best to get to all of it. Yeah, so, there's a lot right. going on. I mean, well, you know, obviously there isn't any game. I mean, you you and I both know you could we could talk this way about a one and nine team versus an zero and ten team because that's right. just football. But these are definitely intriguing matchups. Yeah, getting into this, I'm like, I keep writing notes and notes and notes, and it's just uh, that's the way it is. So great stuff as always, Greg. And uh, we'll be talking the next time we talk. We'll be talking about Super Bowl exercises, but. Uh, that's it for our conference championship preview, and we'll be talking more X's and O's racing. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.